European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 41, Issue 37. Focus Issue, Acute Coronary Syndromes, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Filippo Crea, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The Conundrum of Acute Coronary Syndromes. Why does a stable plaque become unstable? This issue begins with a special article, an EAPCI expert consensus document on ischemia with non-obstructive coronary arteries in collaboration with European Society of Cardiology Working Group on Coronary Pathophysiology and Microcirculation, endorsed by Coronary Vasomotor Disorders International Study Group, by Vijay Konadian from Newcastle University in the United Kingdom and colleagues. While for many years our attention has been focused on coronary stenosis, growing evidence suggests that functional alterations of coronary circulation play an important role in all clinical manifestations of ischemic heart disease. The current contribution is an expert consensus document on ischemia with non-obstructive coronary arteries, or INOCA. Angina pectoris affects approximately 112 million people globally. Up to 70% of patients undergoing invasive angiography do not have obstructive coronary artery disease, more common in women than in men, and a large proportion have ENOCA as a cause of their symptoms. ENOCA patients present with a wide spectrum of symptoms and signs that are often misdiagnosed as non-cardiac, leading to underdiagnosis/investigation and under-treatment. ENOCA can result from heterogeneous mechanism including coronary vasospasm and microvascular dysfunction, and is not a benign condition. Compared to asymptomatic individuals, INOCA is associated with increased incidence of cardiovascular events, repeated hospital admissions, as well as impaired quality of life and associated increased healthcare costs. This document provides a definition of INOCA and guidance to the community on the diagnostic approach and management of INOCA based on existing evidence from research and best available clinical practice, noting gaps in knowledge and potential areas for investigation. This issue then continues with a focus on acute coronary syndromes, or ACS, which represent the most dramatic presentation of ischemic heart disease. The abrupt clinical presentation of ACS gives a strong signal of discontinuity in the natural history of atherothrombosis. While experimental models of atherogenesis have provided a growing body of information about molecular mechanisms of plaque growth, the transition from coronary stability to instability is less well understood. This issue provides novel, important information in this fascinating area of cardiovascular medicine. In a clinical research manuscript entitled Long-Term Beta-Blocker Therapy and Clinical Outcomes After Acute Myocardial Infarction in Patients Without Heart Failure, Nationwide Cohort Study. Jihoon Kim from the University School of Medicine in Seoul, South Korea and colleagues investigate the association between long-term beta-blocker therapy and clinical outcomes in patients without heart failure, or HF, after acute myocardial infarction, or MI. Between 2010 and 2015, a total of 28,970 patients who underwent coronary revascularization for acute MI with beta-blocker prescription and hospital discharge and were event-free from death, recurrent MI or HF for one year were enrolled from the Korean nationwide medical insurance data. 
The primary outcome was all-cause death. The secondary outcome was a composite of all-cause death, recurrent MI or hospitalisation for new HF. Outcomes were compared between beta blocker therapy for greater than or equal to one year, N equaling 22,707, and beta blocker therapy for less than one year, N equaling 6,263, using landmark analysis at one year after index MI. Compared with patients receiving beta blocker therapy for less than one year, those receiving beta blocker therapy for greater than or equal to one year had a significant 19% lower risk of all-cause death and a significant 18% lower risk of the composite of all-cause death, recurrent MI, or hospitalisation for new HF. The lower risk of all-cause death associated with persistent beta-blocker therapy was observed beyond two years, but not beyond three years after MI. The authors conclude that in this nationwide cohort, Beta-blocker therapy for greater than or equal to one year after MI was associated with reduced all-cause death among patients with acute MI without HF. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Rafael Harari and Shripal Bangalore from the New York University School of Medicine in the United States, who conclude that a drug that has been widely used clinically for over half a century is now in urgent need of reappraisal from contemporary trials. In a clinical research article entitled Ticagrelor Alone versus Ticagrelor Plus Aspirin Following PCI in Patients with Non-ST Segment Elevation Acute Coronary Syndromes, Twilight ACS, Roxana Mehran from the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York, USA and colleagues determined the effects of Ticagrelor monotherapy on clinically relevant bleeding and major ischemic events in relation to clinical presentation with and without non-ST elevation acute coronary syndromes, or NSTE-ACS, among patients undergoing PCI with drug-eluting stents, or DES. The authors conducted a pre-specified subgroup analysis of the ticagrelor with aspirin or alone in high-risk patients after coronary intervention, or TWILIGHT trial, which enrolled 9,006 patients with high-risk features undergoing PCI with DES. After three months of DAP with Ticagrelor plus aspirin, 7,119 adherent and event-free patients were randomized in a double-blind manner to Ticagrelor plus placebo versus Ticagrelor plus aspirin for 12 months. The primary outcome was Bleeding Academic Research Consortium, or BARC, type 2, 3 or 5 bleeding while the composite of all-cause death, myocardial infarction or stroke, was the key secondary outcome. Ticagrelor monotherapy significantly reduced BARC 2, 3 or 5 bleeding by a significant 54% among NSTE-ACS patients and by a non-significant 24% among stable patients, P for interaction being 0.03. Rates of all-cause death, MI or stroke were similar between treatment arms, irrespective of clinical presentation. Meran et al. conclude that among patients with or without NSTE-ACS who have completed an initial three-month course of DAPT following PCI with DES, ticagrelor monotherapy reduced clinically meaningful bleeding events without increasing ischemic risk as compared with ticagrelor plus aspirin. The benefits of ticagrelor monotherapy 
with respect to bleeding events were more pronounced in patients with NSTE-ACS. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Robert Storey from the University of Sheffield in the United Kingdom, who wonders if one should switch from ticagrelor monotherapy to aspirin monotherapy at 12 months, or continue ticagrelor monotherapy long-term, and suggests that that part of the journey remains largely unexplored. ACS with intact fibrous cap, or IFC, i.e. caused by coronary plaque erosion, account for approximately one-third of ACS. However, the underlying pathophysiological mechanisms, as compared to ACS caused by ruptured fibrous cap, or RFC, remain largely undefined. In a clinical research article entitled Differential Immunological Signature at the Culprit Site, distinguishes acute coronary syndrome with intact from acute coronary syndrome with ruptured fibrous cap. Results from the Prospective Translational Optico-ACS Study. David Leisner from the Charité Universitätsmedizin Berlin in Germany and colleagues compared the microenvironment of culprit lesions, or CL, with IFC versus those with RFC. The CL of 170 consecutive ACS patients was investigated by optical coherence tomography, or OCT, and simultaneous immunophenotyping by flow cytometric analysis, as well as by effector molecule concentration measurements across the CL. Within the study cohort, IFC-CL caused 25% of ACS, while RFC-CL caused the remaining 75%, as determined and validated by two independent OCT core laboratories. IFC-CL were characterised by lower lipid content, less calcification, a thicker overlying fibrous cap, and largely localised near a coronary bifurcation as compared to RFC-CL. The microenvironment of IFC-CL demonstrated selective enrichment in both CD4 plus and CD8 plus T lymphocytes as compared to RFC-CL. T-cell-associated extracellular circulating microvesicles were more pronounced in IFC-CL and a significant higher amount of CD8 plus T-lymphocytes was detectable in thrombi-aspirated from IFC-CL as compared to RFC-CL. Furthermore, IFC-CL showed significantly increased levels of the T-cell effector molecules granzyme A plus 22%, perforin plus 59% and granulizin plus 75% as compared to RFC-CL. Endothelial cells subjected to culture in disturbed laminar flow conditions to stimulate coronary flow near a bifurcation demonstrated an enhanced adhesion to CD8 plus T-cells. Finally, both CD8 plus T-cells and their cytotoxic effector molecules caused endothelial cell death a key potential pathophysiological mechanism in IFC-CL. Thus, the Optico-ACS study emphasizes a novel mechanism in the pathogenesis of IFC-CL, favoring participation of the adaptive immune system, particularly CD8 plus T-cells and their effector molecules. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Giovanna Luizzo and colleagues from the Catholic University, myself included, who concluded that we are learning a lot on plaque erosion. But we should not forget the words of Winston Churchill. Now is not the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. But it is, perhaps, the end of the beginning. 
balance between inflammatory and reparative leukocytes allows optimal healing after MI. In a clinical research article, molecular imaging-guided repair after acute myocardial infarction by targeting the chemokine receptor CXCR4, Annika Hess and colleagues from the Hanover Medical School in Germany aim to characterize infarct chemokine CXC receptor 4 or CXCR4 expression using positron emission tomography or PET and established its relationship to cardiac outcome. The authors tested whether image-guided early CXCR4-directed therapy attenuates chronic dysfunction. A total of 180 mice underwent coronary ligation or sham surgery and serial PET imaging over seven days. Infarct CXCR4 content was significantly higher over three days after MI compared to sham, confirmed by flow cytometry and histopathology. Mice that died of left ventricular or LV rupture exhibited persistent inflammation at three days compared to survivors. Higher CXCR4 signal at one day and three days independently predicted significantly worse functional outcome at six weeks assessed by cardiac magnetic resonance. Following the imaging time course, mice were treated with AMD 3100, CXCR4 blocker. CXCR4 blockade at three days significantly lowered LV rupture incidence versus untreated MI, 8% versus 25%, and significantly improved contractile function at six weeks. CXCR4 blockade at seven days failed to improve the outcome. FACS analysis revealed lower LV neutrophil and LY6C high monocyte content after CXCR4 blockade at three days. A total of 50 patients underwent CXCR4 PET imaging and functional assessment early after MI. CXCR4 expression correlated with contractile function. Hess and colleagues conclude that PET imaging identifies early CXCR4 upregulation, which predicts acute rupture and chronic contractile dysfunction. Imaging-guided CXCR4 inhibition accelerates inflammatory resolution and improves outcome. This supports a molecular image-based theranostic approach to guide therapy after MI. The manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Christian Weber and colleagues from the Ludwig Maximilian Universität, or LMU, in Munich, Germany. The authors point out that the study of Hess et al., building on the virtues of molecular PET imaging for non-invasive analysis of biomarker expression within injured tissue in a preclinical as well as clinical setting, demonstrates the value of CXCR4 PET imaging in identifying the best time point of anti-inflammatory treatment by CXCR4 antagonism with respect to chronic cardiac function. In a clinical review article entitled Management of Non-Culprit Coronary Plaques in Patients with Acute Coronary Syndrome, Rocco Montone from the Fondazione Policlinico Universitario a Gemelli IRCCS in Rome, Italy, and colleagues, including myself, note that approximately 50% of patients with ST-segment elevation myocardial infarction, or STEMI, have multivessel coronary artery disease, a condition associated with an increased incidence of recurrent ischemic events and higher mortality. Based on recent evidence, a strategy of staged percutaneous coronary intervention, or PCI, 
of obstructive non-culprit lesions should be considered the gold standard for the management of these patients. However, several issues remain unresolved. Indeed, what is the optimal timing of stage PCI is not completely defined. Moreover, assessment of intermediate non-culprit lesions represents a clinical conundrum, as pressure Y indexes do not seem able to correctly identify those patients in whom deferral is safe. Intracoronary imaging may help to identify untreated non-culprit lesions containing vulnerable plaques that may portend a higher risk of future cardiovascular events. However, there are hitherto no studies demonstrating that preventative PCI of vulnerable plaques or more intensive pharmacological treatment is associated with an improved clinical outcome. In this review, the authors discuss the recent evolving concept about management of non-culprit plaques in STEMI patients, proposing a diagnostic and therapeutic algorithm to guide physicians in clinical practice. They also underscore the several knowledge gaps to address in future studies. This issue is also complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In a contribution entitled, Extracorporeal Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation in Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest in Relation to Organ Donation. Stefan Roest from the Erasmus MC in Amsterdam, the Netherlands and colleagues comment on the recent publication entitled, Extracorporeal Cardiopulmonary Resuscitation in Out-of-Hospital Cardiac Arrest, a Registry Study by Wolfram Bouguan from the Paris Cardiovascular Research Center, PARCC, in France and his colleagues, the Sudden Death Expertise Center investigators. Bouguan et al. respond in a separate comment. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its listeners.